Worldwide internet, welcome to another captivating episode of the Snap No Tap podcast. I'm Tony Cicchini. We're with Joe Cardinal, and everybody, including our surprise guests, are all out sick. And I've been battling my yearly January nasal cold. So uh, we're battered, but we're not broken. Hello, Joe. Hey, Tony. Good to see you, man. Good to see you too. Glad What's you're among, among the mobile right now. We're we're down and out a lot of us with the illness. Yeah, I'm. I've been battling this cold. I get them once or twice a year. My nose has been broken like five times, so I'm very susceptible to. It's always in my nose. So uh, you know, I'd rather it be done now. The holidays are over. Just get it over with. And I normally have a cold that lasts from seven to ten days. So it started, I believe, Tuesday that just passed. Um, so it's going to probably last most of next week, too, unless there's a miracle. So I don't know. Do you believe in miracles? We need Al Michaels here, you know. Are you pretty confident it's not COVID? Oh, no, no. Certainly. I don't have any of the symptoms outside of just stuffed up in my nose. You know, um, that's it. And based on everything I've read, the COVID lasts just a, like the the Omicron variant only lasted one to three days, you know, and for me, I'm, I'm way beyond that already. But no bronchial problems, no breathing problems, you know, just, you know, can't, I mean, breathing, I can't breathe through my nose, but through my mouth, I'm fine. No um, respiratory problems, I should say. It just seems with uh, COVID that they're always like the, the, the symptoms vary enough that it seems like almost anything could be COVID, you know, like the way the list of symptoms are just anything that where you're feeling bad could possibly be it. So that's the, the whenever I feel off, I'm like, Oh, is this finally it? Do I have it? You know, I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, COVID is real. People have died. I know people who have died from it. It's very, very serious, but you can't, yeah, you can't like stub your toe and think you have COVID, you know, it, colds are always there, you know, flus and just other things, just, Food poisoning, upset stomach, whatever, you know, we all have those. Um, so it is what it is. Um, anyhow, I'm uh, checking something here because I'm getting like a warning. It looked like something was blinking. I can't tell without my glasses. So normally when I do, I'm not a fa- Everybody that knows me knows I do not like Zoom. I'm not a fan of Zoom, um, but... Normally when like you're talking, you'll pop up on the screen so I can watch and see what you're doing. But mm-hmm. for some reason today, you're not popping up unless yeah, you have that disengaged. Well, not intentionally. 
So I can look around while we're talking here and see if I can change that. So you're still not seeing Yeah, because the, the, the viewing audience doesn't want to see me. They tune in to see you, your face. So I don't know if they're seeing your face or not. Well, you know, actually, that I should address something. This is an interesting segue because I saw in one of the comments to one of our videos, someone actually picked up on a habit of mine that when I talk, when I'm, you know, let's say we're doing our plugs or whatever, that I have a habit of looking away and turning away, uh, you know, especially when I'm going on a, a long monologue. And I've noticed that myself and I've had to analyze it. And I realized really it's, this is a good way to kind of give some people like our audiences, like a view behind the curtain of what's going on. Because obviously, like when I'm here using the Zoom program, when I start talking, I have to look at you, Tony. So I have to look at you. And it's like looking at the sun. I can't just keep that focus straight ahead. I have to veer my head to the side. I believe that. Yeah. I've heard that before from many people throughout the years. But so I I see it looks like you have new glasses. Well, I was wondering, wondering to see if you could pick that off. Very good with well, your power of observation, which is something very important for self-defense, isn't it? To, to it keep... is. And, I'm, you know, and yes, you, you have, you're always constantly, it's like, it's like weird. You're like a sadist, okay? You're not content being, you know, like the... Well, I'm training with you, so that definitely means I may be well, a masochist. No, no, you want to hurt people because you want to constantly like keep on improving your looks and make us all feel very self, uh, you know, insecure, you know. Um, and to to most of the world, you're the you're the best looking man in the in the world, except for one person, of course, you know, who voted for Scott Hall. Um, big lie. Yes, I'm familiar with that. <clears throat> yeah, it's a shame. Well, you know what? I think there's some history between you and her, and I and I think that history needs to be. Um, I think you need to review it and perhaps make amends somehow or another. Um, and maybe we can have another go at it in the let's say in the summer, um, with your new glasses, maybe. Well, we'll see. Yeah, like I said, I have teams of people looking into this. My lawyers. Um, there's some inconsistency. shall we say uh-huh. some of the counting of the votes irregularities these and this against a lot of chances for foreign influence interference interference so um uh yeah again you know take everything with a grain of salt there's a lot of fake news out there and misinformation and i, I hate to see you being taken in by things like that tony well if you uh i don't know what your shopping habits are but you know, you might be able to kill two birds with one stone because you may need help in overturning Melody's vote. So are you by any chance in need of new pillows? Because there's a pillow guy out there that that's, I guess he's got a lot of experience with over trying to overturn elections and stuff. So maybe you could contact him. Well, I know him from the before times. He was one of my suppliers. So yeah, oh, we've see. had a long, long history. Yeah. Going back. So, um, but yeah, good point. I'll, I'll look them up. Uh, yeah, please do. So speaking of looking up, oh, well, first of all, you got to do our, our plugs and you have to look at the, don't look away when you make the plugs for the schools and stuff, because that's disingenuous. It's tough. You have see, to look- so what's going to, what's going to happen though, is I'm going to spend like the next, you know, 90 seconds here doing our plugs, but then seared in my retina is going to be an outline of an Italian thug that I can't it's just going to be a, a blind spot for the next, for the remainder of the podcast, honestly. So, uh, but I'll do well, it. You don't have to the bear, man. Come on, quit crying. All right. 
I'm doing this for the people at home. The, the listeners, the fans out there demanded it. So, um, but yes, let's do our plug. So first and foremost, I think the biggest news that we've been talking about is the big countdown for the Tri-C program. So that, uh, you know, we're, we're running out of time here. If you're looking to get that, that is the best way to uh, get access to lifetime training with Tony, whether it's uh, in person or, um, you know, online training, which Tony's doing with people nowadays because of COVID and everything that's going on. Um, so uh, it's the best rate you'll ever get. Uh, there'll be future training options. Obviously, we're going to come back, but nothing worth a lifetime type commitment from Tony. Uh, immediately, if you sign up, you get access to all his videos to download right away. So it's just, a, you know, it's, it's a win-win for, you know, it's a great help for us here. It helps support Tony. Uh, and again, like I said, you lock in. So uh, whenever you're able to swing by Tony's place to train, uh, you know, or um, you do it over, you can start scheduling um, training online. That's the best thing you can do. But because it's such a generous offer, it's honestly something we're realizing we're going to have to sunset because it's just, it's kind of too big of a commitment for the price that we're offering. So uh, we're just like, a, we decided to give a small window here for those who want to jump onto it because we've had a lot of long time people who've been interested in this program. So hopefully take advantage of this while the opportunity still lands. It's, it's, you know, it's less than a month now. We're going to take it offline. So uh, that's first and foremost. Uh, obviously, you know, there's people out there. If you listen, if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy the free content on our YouTube site, uh, please consider joining our monthly membership. We have two levels. Uh, the $10 a month, you get access to um, new videos that we put out on a regular basis uh, that are not available for download. So that's something unique for the $10 a month. Uh, and there's also the $5 a month thank you level. Just like I said, it's kind of the Patreon model to help support us and our cost. It goes a long way and it shows your appreciation for you know, what we try to provide here, the information and entertainment we provide through this podcast and other means. Uh, we'd also like to, as I said, take this time, opportunity to thank the schools that have supported us over the years. Um, and they're good schools. Uh, the Akai Academy in the north side of Chicago, Rick Solo, who is a, one of a great guests that we had on here, a great guy. Uh, so best Muay Thai training you can get in the Chicagoland area. Also, a little heads up, I think they're moving locations. They're currently working on a new gym. So we'll have some announcements when they open and move to their new location. But right now, they, they said they're still going to be on the north side of Chicago. But uh, congratulations to them. I think they're getting a bigger space. So they're expanding. So good for them. The Akai Academy again. Uh, and then there's Jason Bender's Bender Martial Arts and Fitness uh, up, you know, up in Andersonville area for Gi Jiu-Jitsu. Also some striking training there in Judo. Um, it's really the Miyagi-Do Dojo of the north side, if I may. Uh, great environment, very uh, friendly. Uh, so definitely uh, look Jason up. If you're looking for no-gi jiu-jitsu, uh, look for 10th Planet Chicago. That's uh, Josh Pacini, our good friend there. Uh, a lot of great things to say about him. You know, he's an MMA fighter. Um, also, like I said, they, they have leg lock specific classes and things. If you're interested in that aspect of the game, look them up. Um, and I think that's it for our plugs, Tony. So I think we're ready to go. Yeah, good. And yeah, Josh and Jason Bender will be appearing on my, uh, what do you call it, BJJ Fanatics uh, video when, when it gets released. And um, I, I'm not, I don't know anything about when. I don't know anything about price. I know I'm like Sh Sergeant Schultz. I know nothing. I just show up and hook people and then wait to see uh, whatever happens. I'm hoping for big... Um, you know, gigantic sales 
that will probably be the make or break. You know, if the sales are mediocre or less, then I'll probably end up just wrapping it up after all these years because 2022 is going to be probably the biggest change changes uh, in my life or at least in the last many, many years. Um, uh, intentional changes or I guess changes that I'm preparing for, like when Kevin got killed and I lost the gym, that was totally unexpected naturally. So that was not prepared. Uh, this will be it. So, um, and m- much of it, to, you know, of course, is what my mom's uh, medical condition. Uh, and then I will make the determination of if, hey, am I going to continue teaching or am I going to say that's it and never teach again? And 2022 and the release of this video is going to be part of it. And every there's a lot behind the scenes, you know, with um, what's the word, uh, logistics and so much to, to think about that I don't want to think about it today. But, uh, yeah, so that's why it's important. If you're going to do the Tri-C, you do it, sign up. Uh, and, you know, you, you get to split the cost with somebody else. It's just ridiculous. When you think about it, you get all my videos and lifetime training for $1,500 per person. Um, I challenge any other martial artist out there to, to make an offer like that. They won't. They can't because it's a foolish thing It's on my part because I'm giving it away. Um, so I have absolutely no regrets. I do get emails from people saying, oh, don't quit. You know, don't, you know, keep offering it. No, I'm sorry. 15 years I've offered it. It's going on. This is the 16th year. So it's, it's been a long time. So, um, yep, that's it. Um, but outside of that, yeah, we're just uh, trying to get through this winter as always. And since I live out here in the boonies and basically across the street from a lake, it's bad with the ice, the wind, the this and that. And boy, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm my car. I haven't even started it in three days, like four days, whenever Tuesday. So I have to get out there today and try to start that car. How are you? How's your, the weather by you? Uh, tre- treacherous. It was actually, it's been all over the place. We've had, you know, single digit temperatures for multiple days. And then when it warmed up, we had Basically, I guess it would be sleet, kind of freezing rain um, that put like everything's like an ice skating rink out there this morning. So uh, it's funny. I was, I was walking the dog and almost like basically wiped out a couple of times. And I'm just, just my luck that, you know, I don't get hurt in training, but I'm going to end up, you know, eating shit here, walking the dog. And, uh, you know, I could just feel it in my knees and everything. Take, I actually ended up just walking where people's grasses were because the snow was safer than the shoveled sidewalks. It was just like a sheet of ice. So. And I think we're dropping back down uh, to, you know, uh, single digits again tonight. So, I mean, this is the fun part, the January, February stretch where it just really, really punishes you. But then, then after that, everything's easy. Yeah. And if we can get through this week, this upcoming week, um, with basically no accumulation of anything, um, we'll be halfway through January because you're right. Um, sometimes the first week or two of March, we have issues, but um Yeah. January and February. So I'm just hoping for the best, <laughs> but I, I do have to make a run. I have to get food and supplies and uh, I just hope I can do it this week one day. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, we're, you're, you're, I'm used to it, but I'm not used to it when I, 
you know, taking care of my mother like this, you know, growing up in Cleveland, the East side of Cleveland was much worse winners in Chicago by far. I mean, there's no comparison. Um, so we're used to all of this crazy, crazy weather, but now it's kind of different, you know, um, cause of, you know, my obligations here, but uh, how's your EMT school going? Uh, First week is done. Actually, let me show you this monster book. This is my textbook. I don't know if you can see this thing. This thing's put my glasses on. Emergency, yeah. Yeah, it's big. And it's, I guess, ironic. It's the 50th anniversary of its publication. So um, uh, so first week's down. Most of it was, uh, you know, uh, orientation type class where they kind of let you know what's what, what you got to wear, what you got to bring. Um, you know, I've got to get all my shots up to date. So like, I still got to get my hep B shot, uh, coming up. Uh, so we'll see how that messes with my health to see if I have any reaction with that. Um, and then we're right now we're not, we're doing not no healthcare training yet. So we're all studying, uh, you know, the history of it. Um, you know, it's fascinating, you know, you don't, you forget about the fact, like it was, I think they, they mentioned there was some, you know, national report in 1966 where they really started to realize, hey, we need to have kind of a organized approach to emergency medicine. Prior to that, it was a lot of volunteer, a patchwork of different, you know, communities uh, trying to, to to respond to these things, you know, and it was, uh, they didn't even have official ambulances back then. They just had kind of like souped up hearses, basically, because that was the only kind of car that was made to have people laid out horizontally in it, you know? Um, so uh, it's just kind of interesting to see the evolution of that and how, um, you know, there, you'd think societies would organize around that, but it took a long time for them to kind of have a national approach to that, um, you know, and, and how that process has been evolving. And then the book, like I said, so beyond that, they kind of right very early on, they're not pulling any punches about the, the nature of the job. I mean, you're gonna be exposed to violence very likely in the job. Um, depending on the type of call you go on to, uh, depending how you behave your health, you have to document the hell out of what you're doing because it's very likely you could be subject to lawsuits. Um, and, you know, because of all those kind of situations and the stresses and the things, I mean, you're, you're going to see things that you're going to really going to be, uh, you know, tragic. I mean, kids that are hurt and dead possibly. Um, I mean, this is, this is heavy shit. And they said, so on to add on to all that, like, because of all of that EMTs, like a lot of uh, first responders, they have a, a higher rate of uh, suicide. So all this was like week one. This is welcome to the job. <laughs> so uh, just it's kind of a, a somber reminder, you know, of, of what, you know, the first responders are uh, subjected to, you know, day in and day out. So uh, I said, I mean, I, I was aware of these things, but it was just like kind of a concentrated, this is if you're going to work in this field, which is not necessarily why I'm learning it now. Uh, I want to just be able to be, you know, competent in applying in case an emergency comes up the skills. Uh, but learning about what they have to do on the job is uh, very eye-opening. 20 years ago, I dated uh, a paramedic and she, we went to a function in a, uh, on the far south side, I think it's Palos Hills or whatever, the Sabre Room. And it was the retirement party for the second uh, crew the second year, I guess, of Chicago paramedics. Okay, so um, so what I mean by that is, I believe they started the paramedics in Chicago in either nineteen seventy or seventy one, whatever. And then the second class. So this was the graduate, the thirty year retirement of the second class 
of uh, Chicago paramedic graduates, I guess you'd say it. So it was, you know, really interesting. Um, and that was, I think, the only time I was ever at the Saber Room. I don't even know if the Saber Room's still there, but I guess it used to be a a pretty big, you know, big shot place. Like they used to have superstars go to the Saber Room, you know, big time entertainers and stuff. Huh, I don't think I've ever heard of that. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it's been. Oh, I think it was two thousand and two that I went there. So that's twenty. Well, that's twenty years, right? So uh, yeah. Um, no, it's great that you're doing it. You know, and I know that there's levels of EMTs, and then of course paramedics, and you know, and this and that. And, and I had a guy that I knew in Chicago that was a. He had just retired. He was a paramedic. And I think we mentioned this once on the show because I was talking to him about this and he's like, you know, if I forgot exactly how he worded it, but if you're going to be an invalid, so to speak, and need daily care and treatment, blah, 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 blah. You want to get yourself a very good registered nurse. He says, but if there's a traumatic accident somewhere along the way, you want one of us. We're better trained for that. So everybody has their specialties which is really important. You know, it's like saying doctor, you, what are you a doctor of what, you know? Um, so good. I'm glad you're doing it. I, I mean, years ago I did the multimedia standard first aid. I did CPR and that was the extent of it. And I studied a lot of physiology and um, <clears throat> excuse me, of course, psychology and anatomy just uh, for myself. And I knew a guy who was a martial artist, not a grappler, uh, and he actually went even further than necessarily being a paramedic, and he became a mortician or a funeral director. He studied all of that because he wanted to really get to learn about nerves and, you know, things on the human body um, to aid in his martial arts. Um, so yeah, there's some there's some people out there that really take it seriously. I was one of them, and I'm glad that you're one of them. You know, you're taking it to another level because you're actually going to be certified, as opposed to me. I'm just certifiable. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like I said, I'm just realizing more and more as life goes on that uh, just as like I'm exposed, you know, intermittently to uh, potential violent situations, situations where people's you know uh, health crisis has come up just in my you know might be once every other couple of years, but obviously as I get older and the people I hang with are older, it's going to become more and more likely. But uh, it's, it's just, to me, it's just another part of being prepared and being out there. Uh, but it is a big time commitment, you know, it'll be interesting to see once I go through it, um, you know, cause I know there's a lot of different schools and approaches to that. Some of them are directly, this is definitely trying to prepare you for the job. The, ironically, most of the, it's an interesting range of students there. I'd say 90% of them are actually younger than my son, Ben there. So I'm definitely like the old man, but there was actually a woman there who, so they kind of went through the class and asked everybody, hey, you know, tell us about yourself, what your age is, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And there was actually one woman who would not disclose her age, um, which is fine, uh, but uh, she apparently works for an Amazon warehouse. I think that they are, um, so she's an Amazon employee, and I think they're paying for her to go to this because those warehouses are so big that will actually get a boost in their pay. I guess they allow a certain number of their employees to be EMT certified so that they can have literally first responders, uh, or at least people who can give care inside the warehouse, you know, right away. So it's an interesting strategy for that. Probably, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, well, it's Amazon. They're probably the biggest company in the world, right? So they, they've run it through their lawyers and they know all about, you know, uh, liability and so on. So, yeah, it sounds like, you know, like even at the health club, <clears throat> they have the, uh, you know, the portable defibrillators there and so on. I don't know what the extent of the their training is. Certainly they're not EMTs. I wouldn't, I mean, not for the amount of money they they get paid. They're not making hardly anything. Um, but, yeah, no, that's good that you're doing it. But remember something. You're going to have to keep up with it for the rest of your life. You know, techniques change. Matter of fact, let's get back to that guy that I knew from Chicago that was a retired paramedic. So I used to watch a television show, Emergency. Now, Emergency yeah, came out in the early 70s. That really influenced a lot of people to become uh, paramedics. So, you know, I remember the call sign, KMG365, you know, Ringer's Lactate and all of this, you know, uh, um, TKO to keep open. I, 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 for some reason, remember all of that. Right. So we were having a discussion and he's like, yeah, well, you know, we don't do that anymore. Not, you know, some of those things, the terminologies, some of the medicines are no longer used. You know, things are, you know, developed and progressed since 1972 or whatever. So just bear that in mind that you're going to have to continue and continue and continue and continue just like, uh, you know, what I do with the fighting, there's always new ways of people getting attacked and mugged and so on, or, you know, harmed, let's put it that way. And you have to put that into your, um, you know, your, your mental computer here and come up with, um, you know, solutions and try to preempt it, preempt all of that and come up with strategies, um, you know, that'll, that'll aid you in, in, in protecting yourself. So it's a lifelong it's a lifelong thing. That's why, again, harking back to training, no matter who you train with, no matter how old you are, don't think you're too old because you got to continue to train the rest of your life. The day you stop, okay, then you've given it up. You know, I'm not giving up as far as my knowledge base, as long as I'm, they, I have the mental facility to continue to be, you know, innovative in ways, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do it. So I hope you do the same with your EMT stuff. Thank you. No, it's a, it's a very important reminder for any pursuit, really. All skills are perishable, um, you know, whether you're training for self-defense or like I'm doing, I'm, you know, I'm also trying to pursue kind of the, like the outdoor skill sets, right? The uh, uh, survival skill sets out in the wilderness. Um, I'm still, like I said, kindergarten level at that. But, um, you know, things and actually even now I've noticed I've gone back to practice some fire making techniques and things that I was working and I was much better during the summer because I was outside and I was able to do it more often. Um, you know, now I just try and go and do it in, in the garage a little bit. And it's like, oh, I'm getting rusty already. So, I mean, it, it's the concept of continuing education, which they actually talk about explicitly in this course that, you know, if you're going to be an EMT, especially if you're working for an EMT company, I think you're required to have like a specific, like maybe 60 hours of additional education for forever so many years, which could be seminars or whatever. But you're right. It's not um, any of these things especially when there's hands-on skills. Um, yeah, you, you know, you've got to maintain them. You've got to practice them just because you, you were good at them at a certain point. Now, granted, obviously, some stuff is a little bit like riding a bicycle, but still, you know, um, you, you lose some stuff. You lose some skill. You know, you might hesitate, especially at my age. And that's my big concern is that, like, I've already noticed a, a, a big decline in memory. You know, my ability to recall people's names or just, you know, whatever, names of things 
uh, I, I am very clear that there's a, a, a you know a decrease in that ability. So my ability to retain information that's just going to be another hurdle as part of this. But again, to your point, whatever you're doing, uh, whatever you're pursuing, especially if it's something that's uh, you know important to you, uh, just know that you're going to have to spend a certain amount of time maintaining it. That's just part of the job. Don't overdo it. Don't don't have too many irons in the fire because then you're you know you're going to become you know the jack of all trades, master of none. And also, if you're going to be playing with sticks and all of that stuff in your garage, you better hope that one of your neighbors is enrolled in fire school or something in case you burn the block down. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I know you, so don't you know. But yeah, I, I kind of like you know I I'm I'm a very good person to give advice on not trying to become the best in the world at many things, because I, I always had that quest in my mind. I want to be good at this, 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 you know, and um, you, you can only excel, you know, you can't really spread yourself that thin unless the, the things that you're studying are, are very closely related. And unfortunately for me, none of it, <laughs> everything I wanted to do, was generally speaking totally unrelated okay fighting and pool and music and you know before that electronics uh but all of them actually it gave me uh it it, it developed my my thought process and helped me learn how to learn but like you my memory is very poor um especially with names and things uh you know but you got to continue to plug forward that's why um, the one thing I'm going to do now, we were addressing this before we started filming today. I said I wasn't going to mention anything until we get on the podcast. And I'm going to give this a good three weeks of, of attempts <laughs> to ride out the winter here. Uh, I'm going to get back into trying to play Pac-Man. Okay. So <laughs> I have my controller. It's right behind me, actually. It's in storage here. And uh, I'm just setting up my my laptop um, with MAME, M-A-M-E, I think a multi-arcade machine emulator it stands for, but MAME has the actual ROMs of all the classic video games um, through the years. <clears throat> now, I've have, I have MAME, but I have older um, older versions of it, so I'm downloading the, the latest version and I'm just updating the ROMs, which is going to take a few hours. Um, but yeah, so I think I'm going to try to give it a shot and, and, you know, maybe that'll help my memory, you know, to think to the bat, you know, to the past working on the patterns that I used um, for Pac-Man. So I think I'm going to give it a shot. No harm, no foul. All it's going to do is cost me a day's worth of downloading. It's, you know, I have everything I need. <laughs> You so, have we have like a USB joystick or how how does that work? Well, actually, keep on talking. I'll show you. All right, this will be interesting to see. Tony's going into the the closet of mystery, normally yeah. where he keeps various punching pads and dead mice. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking for it. Hang on. Oh, where did I put it? I must have moved it. I've seen people who've actually built the full cabinet. So they'll have, you know, they'll have a, a full arcade 
setup, you know, whether it's in their basement or garage or something. I wonder how much it would cost to buy a vintage functioning Pac-Man machine. Obviously it's, you know, uh, I, I've got to imagine it's got to play differently. Like the hardware is just as important, I would think, as the software. Well, talking about my memory, I don't remember where the joystick is. I thought it was over here. And again, oh, I think I might have taken it upstairs. Who knows? It doesn't matter. Well, the joystick is one I'd, of the first things that go. Yeah. Well, well, let me explain a few things. So years ago, I built my own controller. I built a super big, huge thing. Um, and I heard what you were saying about a vintage. So they make these machines that you can buy, the, these arcade types of machines. And they're about three to four thousand dollars um that includes a, a small pc built in nothing special but a good enough to run the main um but i built a really good joystick uh, multi-joystick trackball in the whole nine yards i ended up giving it to rick pearl because he liked it so much um and it wasn't i mean i have a good electronics uh, background so uh more importantly there's a firm they were called hap controllers now they're called something else, something slash HAP. They used to be in Elk Grove Village, and I think they're in Mount Prospect now. So this was super easy for me. I, you know, got all the switches, got all the joysticks and blah, 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 blah. Ordered them and just, and my gym was in, no, I don't think I was in Bensonville yet, but it didn't matter. I just drove down to Elk Grove and picked it all up. And built it, put it together. I did have to get one component, though, a little interface back then, and I had to order it from the UK, which took about a week. But, um, yeah, and it just plugs into your computer, and it was all good. Martin was at the house. We had a UFC thing, and it was a bunch of the guys were there, and that's, they all saw me break over a million on Pac-Man then. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting. So the controller that I bought, I, I actually ended up buying a controller from a company. And it's smaller, but it wasn't very the, – the, the joysticks were really not arcade quality. So I actually wrote them about it. I said, you know, come on, guys. You know, you're, you're, you, you sell this shit for $300. You know, um, can't you at least put top-of-the-line joysticks? I said, you know, I was a – yeah, you know, I used to hold the world record in Pac-Man. I says I can't work with these, so I ended up disassembling it, and I bought a very good joystick, a professional model joystick, the ex allegedly the exact joystick um, that was on the original Pac-Man machines. So that's up. I think I have it upstairs actually, where my pool table is. Come to think of it, um, so you know I. But still, the, using this company's um, uh, controller, there just seemed to be some lag, some issues, you know, with the not with it not. Um, uh, you go up and it isn't going up. You go down and it isn't going down, kind of thing. So that's why I said I'm going to give this three weeks. We'll see how it goes. Um, I could always attempt to buy another, just a little joystick, which is only going to be 20, 30 bucks and replace it again. But I think it's the electronics. Um, we'll see. I, again, I don't trust my memory. So we're going to, you know, I'll plug it in either later tonight or tomorrow and have a go at it. I got to imagine, especially when you're playing at a high level, even from location to location. So like back in the day, 
you had your machine at uh, Mr. Heroes or whatever that you would play, right? Yeah. But yeah. there's, you know, you go to a machine somewhere else, it's got different wear and tear on it, right? Different people are playing it at different levels, like, especially at the high levels, I'm sure things are moving quickly and any subtle little response difference has got to make a major difference. You know, I don't know, but I, I was just questioning, like, it does. It is. You're hundred percent right. And to add to that, um, <clears throat> Pac-Man in theory was, was, was a simple game using just a joystick. Okay. But there were other games where you had to maybe use uh, a trackball, such as centipede or a trackball and buttons. I believe centipede, you had a trackball and buttons uh, and other games that used maybe multiple buttons so now you have that to contend with. Whereas on a Pac-Man, you just have the one joystick. Uh, on some other machines, you may have multiple things that can go wrong. But yes, the joysticks, because people tend to... Pac-Man was a very... Um, Pac-Man and trackball games, such as Centipede or uh, Golf or something, you know, uh, what a, a Golden Tee. You know, people can get very abusive with those games okay putting a lot of force and especially with the joystick more so than the trackball the trackball's problem is you get oil from people's hands and you get dirt and it might get in there get inside of that um so that that can be a real problem especially if the arcade owner uh isn't on top of things and doesn't call the uh, gaming company come out and replace that stuff because replacing that stuff is not that big of a deal Okay, especially switches, buttons, they're like a five bucks, you know, not a big deal. <clears throat> but you're right. Uh, some games just, you know, just didn't have the right feel. I could get on a joystick and it just didn't feel right. And then um, I believe that where I learned uh, was Midway, Midway Games. Okay, they were the uh, vendor. But I believe there were other people that other companies that used Pac-Man as well. Pac-Man was listed under different names. It was actually a Japanese company, and I guess they licensed it to different companies. So there were like um, multiple hardware providers in the U.S.? I believe, well, yes. I don't know if they were stationed in the U.S., but yeah, there was, um, I think one was called Pac-Land, and then different, yeah, different hardware. There was different hacks. Some were speed-up hacks. I went to one arcade one time. Now, back in my day, I think you just got three lives, and then you'd have to get bonus lives. So I went to one place, and it was like I put in the quarter, I got five lives. I'm like, wow, okay. I wish this would have happened from the very beginning. I would have, you know, set the record probably six months sooner, you know, with all those extra chances. Um, but, yeah, you just have different, you know, different games. Now, my one buddy was a whiz at um, – Oh, I think it was Galaga, Galaxian, okay? Uh, and he was also a very, 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 very good bowler. He was a bowling hustler. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> we used to go to Cloverleaf Lanes, which is, I wanted to take you there. It's gone in Cleveland. So he'd be bowling, hustling, hustling, bowling while I'm at the pool tables, hustling pool. But we'd go to the car uh, uh, um, arcade, and he'd play his Galaxian, and I'd play my Pac-Man, Um and I used to mess with him because I used to, there's places on the Pac-Man board where you can you can hide him 
and he won't get eaten. And you can walk away. You can go to the bathroom. You can get something to eat and come back and just, you know, freelance the rest of the board. You don't have a pattern. You have to freelance it. So I would do that a lot. I would just be playing. I get a little tired. I just put it in the safe spot. There was nobody else around, so nobody was going to take my game. So I'd walk over to him and just mess with him, you know, because <laughs> he couldn't leave. He couldn't leave his game. You know, I could. Um, but he was nowhere – if I played straight through, I'm playing nonstop for a couple hours, okay, if I recall correctly, whereas he was he could never play straight through for a couple hours, you know. Um, but I'll tell you what, though, this guy could bowl. Um, a few, and he was like a, year, a couple years older than me. He lived the next street over, actually. And uh, I remember a few years ago, I was living out here, but I was with Scott, and we went to, over the border to Wisconsin to shoot some pool. And uh, so while we're waiting, I'm, I'm telling him about this guy, Brian. And he's like, you should look him up, because I was planning on going to Cleveland. He's like, look him up. I'm like, I will. And come to find out he had just passed away. He had cancer, which was terrible. and really depressed me, so I'm like, man, I, I don't want to shoot any pool. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of sentimental about that stuff, so. I didn't want to shoot any pool. So Scott shot pool and I just sat there kind of in the dumps and I hadn't seen him in 30 years, but doesn't matter. He was something from my, you know, from my childhood. And as you know, you've been to Cleveland with me. Um, pretty much everything from my childhood is gone. It's no longer standing. And that includes people as well as structures. So it kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, uh, I mean, I've seen it to a lesser degree, but in Chicago too, my neighborhood, where I grew up completely changed. You know, the, the house I grew up is still there, but it looks completely different. You know, people have changed it. So, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't seem familiar to me. The neighborhood's different. Everything, you know, uh, is constantly changing. And you're right. Uh, you know, the older we get, the less the people that we have around us, you know. Uh, you know, I kind of appreciate why as people get older, they kind of, you know, they don't necessarily they're not in touch with the, you know, the new world that's kind of grown up around them. Everything they knew and they cared about has kind of slipped away. There's, there's a lot less for them, you know, whether, whether it's the music they listen to, all that stuff kind of changes from generation to generation. You know, you have your kind of, you have your time here and, and that's definitely finite. Yeah, it most definitely is. It's totally finite. And, you know, I, I've always been kind of the guy that always like delved into things and really learned, learned, learned. And I also lose interest quickly on things that, you know, that just don't, that I don't have that deep care for. So I'm, I'm glad about that because I know a lot of people, matter of fact, here, I was reading something and there was, there was, it was an act actress slash actor coach. And she said that um, she had this guy who was really studious. He was an acting student. And um, she said you know, he was intelligent, this and that, whatever, but he just just didn't have the ability. She, she, he just, just, he wasn't natural at it. He was very stiff. He just couldn't do it. And then she started wondering, what's my problem? I can't reach this guy. I can't get through to him. So eventually he quit. 
And he went on to study with some other famous instructor who was, who was considered at the time, maybe the best classical acting instructor in the world. I think he was some Spanish man. Um, and he studied hard with him and the same thing. He failed with him and he ended up completely, the student ended up completely leaving the business. He never got one professional acting job. So he studied in all, in all for about four or five years and never got one acting gig out of it. So, okay, there's two ways of looking at it. Whoever this gentleman is, Mr. X, you know, you could say he had perseverance or was he just, you know, kind of like a numbskull, you know, just so hard-headed that he didn't realize that this isn't going anywhere. So I've been lucky that I lose interest um, and, and, and it isn't because of hard work that I can't do it. Cause obviously, you know, I've, I've done a lot of hard work. It's just that once I start to see that this isn't for me, I can assess myself and I can say, Hey, look, I'm limited here. I'm never going to take this very far. So I walk away from it. So I'm, I'm lucky there. I haven't wasted years on something, maybe in hindsight, the music, because I, but that was kind of taken from me. Um, but my appreciation and my love for music it continues to grow. So I don't look at that as waste, but you know, I just don't, honestly, I just don't, I don't want to see a lot of people waste their time because you're right. We have a finite amount of time here. Okay. Um, you could blow a thousand dollars on gambling today and walk outside and maybe find a thousand or 2000 or $3,000 or something like that. Right. Or get a job. And all of a sudden you have this income coming in, but you can't do that with time. Nobody can actually give you more, an extension of time. So time is, to me, the most precious commodity I think that we have. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Like you said, it's, it's you know, you're, you might be able to extend your life by working out a little bit or eating right. But um, although I'll say this, like for your, your, your friend or your, the person you knew who was acting, who, I mean, sometimes you, you love something or you have an interest of something that you're just not good at. And even if, you know, it's kind of like he stepped up to the plate and, you know, he swung and he missed, but at least he could say when he looks back, he's like, Hey, I gave it a shot. This was something I was interested in. You know, I went to the best instructors. I gave it five years of my life and maybe, you know, who knows what the end destination for him was. I mean, you know, what is success? Cause I, like, I look at like my, my crappy Brock band that I'm in, you know, we are never going to we're probably still going to be, we're never going to completely pay off our instruments from the money we make <laughs> from, yeah. you know, uh, but do we love getting together? Do we love the environment and hanging out about it? You know, to me, it's, it's the journey, you know, like I've always been a fan of music. I mean, you and I like different music, but I think we still have a love of, you know, in, in general, we have a love of music and I'm, I, well, I'll say this. I didn't even think I was, I was at the point where I didn't think I had the ability to play music. Like I had piano lessons as a kid and hated it. And so I was, I was already middle. Actually, it's funny because it parallels a lot with some of my fight training to a degree where I started it a lot later than most people do in their lives. And so there's already kind of a limit to how much I'm going to achieve, right? You know, I'm not going to fulfill my true potential with it, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have value to me. It doesn't add to my life. So it's, it's tricky. You know, I saw this one band, um, uh, this punk band called the queers and for a long time I used to think like you know like if you're in a band and let's say you, you're in it for like you said like four or five years you really haven't made a hit or you haven't hit some some level of success maybe it's time to think about moving on but this band I saw 
this punk band i saw them playing it was really cool it's actually at a bowling alley the fireside bowl it's on um fullerton actually not too far from isn't it on diversity uh it's, it was like just a couple blocks west of uh is it quenchers it was right like by western avenue but anyways you know yeah. generally i've been there yeah i, I so, bowled out of there yeah 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 and uh but they used to show have music shows there and uh so what they did is they they lined up they set up a stage uh at the far end so you'd be everybody would be standing basically perpendicular to the bowling lane so they blocked off the bowling lanes no one was standing there so everybody was just kind of standing uh room only kind of where the seats were where you'd sit where you're going to bowl just a little small but this band had so much energy they had so much fun so i'm saying they're playing this crappy little place but they were good and i said these guys were already middle-aged they were good they had energy they love what they're doing they're never gonna they're never going to quit their day jobs, you know, <laughs> make it play in these kind of venues. But once in a while, like, I don't know, they just go on a tour. They play these little venues with the people who love them. And uh, they had a great time. And it kind of changed my perspective on it, that um, that sometimes you can have a hobby and maybe not, you know, and just the act of doing it is the reward itself. You know, however far you can take that thing that you love, you know, um, I don't know. It's just a different thought about it. Well, music and acting are completely, you know, two different things. I don't know this guy that I was mentioning. I just read about it. But, you know, music, you can, I used to volunteer and play at nursing homes and things like that, retirement communities. And But you can also just entertain yourself or entertain your loved one. If you try to just start acting on your own and somebody catches you doing that, you're going to be in a mental institution, okay? You know, if you're walking down the street thinking you're John Wayne, oh, my goodness. But you get my point. Music. Music is a, uh, it can be very medicinal. Well, it's very psychological because music has been used um, as a psychological attack. I don't remember if you recall David Koresh, the Waco uh, wild man, um, but the uh, the FBI, I believe it was, was pumping uh, loud, 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 heavy metal or whatever, trash music all hours of the night. You know, just to mess with them psychologically. I think they did that to and, Manuel Noriega too, right? Do you remember when? Well, was- and yes, they and and they've done it to plants. They've played heavy metal music, piped into plants, and the plants died. And they've at the same time other plants, exact same same plants types of plants, classical music, and the plants thrived. So there's something to music. Okay, there's no question about it. Um, I mean, I'm not saying there's nothing to acting because a good movie has, you know, or acting in general has motivated people and and has uh, compelled people to, uh, you know, get an education perhaps or or, or get into a certain career. So it can be very motivating. Um, But I'm just saying in general, there's times when you just have to realize, hey, I got to give it up, especially if you have a family and. Okay, you you spent all this time doing something and you failed because you this apparently this guy wanted to be a professional actor and he never could do it. So now let's say he gets off on another jaunt. Now maybe he wants to be something else. <laughs> Is his family saying, "Oh boy, here we go again?" You know, so yes, there you do need perseverance, but I think and we've talked about this ad nauseum on the show. You need a good instructor that's going to sit there and really finally tell you, "Look, I don't think you have it. I don't think you have the ability or the whatever. And in case I'm wrong, 
get a second opinion. Go to someone else, you know, and and let them assess you as well. So, um, because I know from my, from you know personally, there's just certain like okay, getting back to Pac Man, there was a Ms. Pac Man as well. I played Ms. Pac Man a handful of times in my life, less than a hundred, probably 40, 50 times. You think it's the same thing as Pac Man? It was in a way with the joystick. But I just didn't like Ms. Pac-Man. I just didn't have it. Whatever it was, you would think I could just transition over to Ms. Pac-Man. Now, maybe if there was money involved, lots of money, and somebody sponsored me, I'd have had the dedication to do it. But I just, you know, said, no, this is, I don't find any enjoyment in this. Um, I'm going to walk away from it. And ironically, when Pac-Man was phasing out, uh, a lot of these uh, gamers, they'll transition to the newest game or a different game, something like that. I just walked away from all of it for the most part. You know, I just said, well, I'm back to shooting pool here. Pool is really my destiny. Um, so, yeah, I, I just I knew enough to say, now nah, I'm not going to I'm not going to go through all of this again. Gaming's tough uh, because there's a lot of relearning. Like I, I kind of had a similar moment. I was never any kind of a record setter, but the game that my buddies and I, I mean, I grew up kind of in the same era you did. So I had all the arcade yeah. games like Pac-Man and Galaga space invaders. I loved all that shit, but I really didn't get competitive with it. There's a PC game, uh, a first person shooter called quake. And then there was a, a various versions, quake one, quake two, quake three, um, quake three came out and the graphics were gorgeous at, at that time. Uh, I just couldn't believe it. And so the guys at work, so obviously I worked in it. So, you know, had a bunch of computer nerds. So after work, we'd have a computer network there. Uh, we even set up a server that would rotate. And basically it's, you have this kind of spacey map that you'd run through and you're, you're shooting each other. And it was kind of, and you'd rack up scores. And eventually we found additional programs that had add on programs that you could get where it would actually show your statistics. So it would say, well, who, was, who had the number one, the most amount of kills? Who is best at this weapon? You know, it, it had all these statistics. It was almost like, you know, like fantasy football kind of stuff where you'd get the numbers. And then it got real because then we had numbers behind what we were doing. We could quantitatively say, I'm better than you. This is, you know, and, um, okay. and uh, it heated up. So we would spend an hour to two hours a day after work for about a year playing each other. And I, we got good. Like we should have gone out and competed. Now, I don't know, honestly, because I never really tested it. This was kind of before uh, people were playing games like this on the internet. So this was like before Xbox and things like that. But that exact moment happened for me. I had kind of gotten to the level where I was probably the best in the group that we had kind of consistently. I had a lot of great moments. I remember there was this one guy who was a real asshole at work. And so what would happen is when you're done with the job, you jump, we always had the server running in the background. So you just had to start up the program on your computer and you just jump in, you start running around. Well, I jumped in and this asshole jumped in, this guy that nobody liked. And I just destroyed him. Like, like I just was merciless on him where it was like a complete shutout. And um, I would say within 15, 20 minutes. So that he, because he, he sat in a cube not too far, but literally he, he took his headphones off, threw them to the ground. He's like, what's the point? And then stormed off and ran home, you know, <laughs> he left for the day. So that was a, you know, um, it was kind of a, a good thing for the team. There's a lot of funny stories with that where we had, uh, uh, but anyways, the, my point being, to your point with video games is so 
my kids got the first Xbox and the, and the game that was real popular, you've probably heard of is Halo. Very similar. It's a first person shooter game. Um, now, but there's different controllers, right? So there's handheld controllers. I was used to using a mouse and keyboard, but my kids were getting into this. I'm like, well, maybe I can play this with them. And it literally was like completely starting over. I was stumbling. I mean, I had the strategies that I'd learned from my other game, but all the mechanics and the, the eye-hand coordination was relearning. And I'm like, and it was that moment of decision where I'm like, am I going to spend the next year of my life putting in a thousand hours to get back to where I was, you know, on this new platform? And I kind of just, I just said, it's not worth it. It is not worth it to go through. I, I, there was a lot of sacrifice and frustration to get to where I was on Quake on the PC. And I'm like, I'm not going to do it again because, I mean, it was entertainment, but it's like, what am I getting out of this? I could be playing an instrument or learning a language. I could be doing something else with that time. You know, was it, I, it was literally like a stake in the line. I was like, I, I'm not going to, it was like, that was my point. It was a, a no go, a go, no go decision. And I'm like, I can't do it again. I just can't commit to that. It's not worth it. Well, I was in Chicago about, I don't know how many months, X amount of months, eight months, seven months. It doesn't matter. And I ended up roommating with this guy and uh, he became addicted to, he had a Sega and him and I both ended up becoming, uh, well, he got literally addicted so much so that he lost his job. Uh, But we were, we both became masters of a game called Shinobi. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't remember, I wouldn't know how to play it anymore, but we mastered it. You know, it was, there was no way to, but this guy became so addicted to all of this. Like I said, he ended up losing his job. And back then he was a manager. He was making over 40 grand a year back then, which was a lot of money um, in like 1988, 87, 88. Um, but now and then I would get, you know, I, would, I was really good at shuffle uh, uh, bowling puck bowling, um, and certain pinball games um, where I would just, you know, play pinball. And anything, you know, I'm not a gambler, but I gamble on things that I can control, okay, like pool or pinball, you know. So you want to play for some money? Well, we'll do it. You want to play for drinks? We'll do it, you know. Um, Now, pool is pool, but pinball, it's specific to that machine. So, you know, every pinball game, you've got to invest – a lot of time, you know, at least a month or so, you know, getting the machine down, you know. Um, but I remember playing, somebody challenged me to Pac-Man. He owned a bar and he had a Pac-Man, a cocktail table. You sat down, one of those sit-down ones. And so that your opponent's across from you. Now, I don't like those, but, you know, I can play them. So he knew about my reputation. So he's like, well, I want you to play left-handed. I said, I'm not going to. Forget it. It's not no, no bet, no deal, nothing. So because that's not even fair because I'm not ambidextrous. I never even attempted to do it left-handed. My, <clears throat> my muscle functions, you know, the control isn't going to be there. I says, um, I can spot you in a different way. Um, and he's like, what? I says, well, I just won't use any patterns. So like, he says, well, how will I know? I says, well, simple. When the, when the screen starts, I won't move. I'll just, you know, kind of keep it static, so to speak. You know, I'll, I'll stall out. And um, I said, but I won't do that every screen. It's ridiculous. I said, I'll do it every fifth, you know, every five screens, I'll do it. So, you know, I had to handicap him that way, which was kind of challenging. Um, and I kind of banked on the fact that he didn't get to the ninth key, which he didn't. So it was, it was, 
it was okay to beat him. It was easy to beat him. But I don't think I could have beat him if I had to play left-handed because I don't think I've ever even tried left-handed. Now, and that made me think, because I told you, that Mr. Heroes, the guy that owned it was a martial artist, Man Beck. And I don't remember now, but I almost want to think he was left-handed, that he used a joystick left-handed. I, I'm curious. There's no way to find out because that was 40 years ago. But it, it's – I, and it doesn't really matter. But, yeah, he was a pretty good player. He was like 230,000 range, you know, um, which was a, above average. Okay, um, probably like really, I mean, nobody broke 300,000 unless you were a super serious player. Okay, so yeah, he was pretty good. Um, and he would have been certainly someone that I would have gambled with as a partner. I think we could have done all right. <laughs> and we could have kicked everybody's ass anyway. So we would have been, you know, physically. He was a lot older than me. He's probably would have been my mom's age, you know, or something like that. I don't know. But... He was like an eighth degree, ninth degree uh, black belt, you know, from Korea. Interesting. I, last I heard, which was 30 years ago, I heard he was living in California. Mm. Yeah, well, maybe he's listening. Oh. He should give us a shout out. He's out there. <laughs> Man Beck and his brother Moon. Yeah, no, it's interesting. But there was a guy in Cleveland. His name was Mickey Burns, because I remember that because I knew an old time boxer named Mickey Burns. I never met this young Mickey Burns or whatever he was, but he was supposed to be the hot shot. Um, space invader champion. He was supposed to be the best space invader player in Cleveland. I don't remember what his scores were, but they were in the tens of thousands, you know. Um, space invaders just always seem like a simple game. And it, I just never, um, I was never very good at it. I, I, once again, I, I was limited to the games I played. There was a lot of games that I actually wasn't very good at and had more fun than when I was really good at Pac-Man. Because when I was really good at Pac-Man, it became like there was no more success, if you follow me. There was only levels of failure, okay? Sure, because well, I got so good that... Yeah, I mean, huh? yeah. the stress yeah. of performing, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I already took it to the maximum. So if I don't take it to the maximum every time... I failed. And, you know, once you've taken it to the maximum, you know, there's no more mystery left. So, yeah, when I would play games like Centipede and Frog, oh, Man Beck was good at Frogger because we used to have a Frogger and a Pac-Man. So, uh, you know, when I played games like that, I, I sucked at it, but it was just so much, it was fun. It was, it was fun. And, and Pac-Man, I don't think was fun for me anymore. Uh, and it may not even be fun for me again, but with 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 the Mame emulator, if I want to play Galaxia, uh, 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 Galaxian or Galaga, whatever, um, I can do it. Uh, I can play Frogger. I can't play Centipede because I don't I don't have a trackball. But you know, just something to spend the next few weeks doing, just to get my mind off of everything else. Um, Were you a fan of Asteroids? Yeah, that's another one. Asteroids and I. Uh, Again, I wasn't very good at it. There was another one. I was a Tempest or something with the. You had to have a trackball. Was it the thing was that like, would move around? It was like a little. 
Yeah, and it was like you you were it looked like you were in the bottom of a of a funnel, like a three-dimensional funnel or something. I don't I don't remember the name of that right now. And then there was another one called Space Command or something. Um Missile Command, was that do you remember that? Missile one? Command, that's it. I remember Missile Command, um, Tetris, uh let's see, uh there was a Galaga and then there was something Phoenix. Now I liked Phoenix better than I did Galaga. Uh, or Gal- Galaga and Galaxian, I think, are the same. They would just they changed the names, but um, but those were fun. I wasn't any good. Like I told you, my friend Brian was really good, and I'd sit there and watch him, and I'm like, God, man, you're you're really pretty. You're like I am on Pac Man, which is like great to watch him and shit. And um, I could have picked his brain. I could have simply asked him, okay, tell me the tricks. Because all of these games have tricks. They all had built-in, like, hacks. Um, with, with Pac-Man, it was mastering the patterns. And that's the thing yeah. I don't think kids appreciate today is that you can now go on the Internet and find those things. Like, that information, yeah. like, how did, you, how did you find out these patterns and things like that? You had a, were there just you, by trial and error, or did, was there some magazines that you'd pick up occasionally? Uh, okay, so, good question. So, the initial patterns... Mark Anderson, this guy that we have to talk about one day on the show, uh, who changed my life, um, he's the one who taught me Pac-Man. He's the one who showed me Pac-Man, and he, I kind of memorized, I had a very good memory back then. I could watch it, and I kind of memorized some of the patterns. Okay, but he did not have a pattern for anything above the ninth key. There was another kid in the neighborhood, his name, believe it or not, was Stevie Miller, and Steve Miller was very good at Pac-Man too. Not quite as good as Mark, about maybe 10, 15,000, 20,000 points less. Um, so I kind of took off on Mark's patterns. I, I used, I used because we, we couldn't crack the ninth key. Nobody could. So I would start experimenting with Mark's patterns, his basic patterns, and all of a sudden I could start to score more points. Well, I got really, really good to the point where, okay, I've got to get past this ninth key because there was a bunch of rumors and speculation about what would happen. And um, so I said, damn it, I'm going to figure it out. So what I did was I would start certain, I'd get to a certain point and then I would watch what's happening and really focus more on, okay, let me see if I go this way, what's going to happen? Oh, I got eaten. Oh, uh, what if I go this way? Well, I made it a little further. So then trial and error and time consuming. You're, you're talking, to, I mean, hour after hour just to get to the ninth key over and over and over again. So finally, I cracked it. I came up with the, with the ninth key pattern, and, uh, and I thought there was another variation somewhere down the line, too. Um, once again, sadly, I don't recall everything. Once I start playing, I'll, we'll see if it comes back to me. So yeah, I actually took notes. Um, I bought a book that actually had, um, blank, a a blank pattern, a blank, you know, the, the maze, the, the, the Pac-Man thing. Yeah. So I took it to school. I had it blown up and then I had a bunch of copies I, I had made. So I would actually just start drawing. I took them with me. So I would draw how far I got and then, you know, what happened here. Okay. 
So that's how I ended up getting um, good, just trial and error. Nobody in the world showed me any ninth key patterns or anything like that, any of the, any of the advanced patterns. And uh, as I said, by the time I was a senior in high school, I was, you know, I won the Pac-Man championship and all of that jazz. And um, it's really quite interesting. And I was nervous, uh, really nervous, because I was like one of the only kids in this tournament, believe it or not, was even though it was held at a Chuck E. Was Chase. that like in downtown Cleveland somewhere? Or? It was in, no, it was in the west, uh, south side. It was by Randall Park Mall that used to be there. It was at the Chuck E. Cheese. And I ended up going in the finals against this adult guy. You know, I don't remember how old he was, probably 30. I don't know. To me, that was like 90, you know. <laughs> um, and I crushed his ass, you know. Um, and he didn't take it well, you know. And here, I want a bike. I want a vest. I think I want an album. And I won like, I think it was $100 in tokens, you know, uh, for Chuck E. Cheese. Now, if you Which was great. that, yeah. Well, yeah. no. And then like two weeks later, because my friend lived not far from Chuck E. Cheese, Garfield Heights, or he lived in Maple Heights, actually. So I told you now, I'm a senior in high school. So I, I drive over to his house. Let's go to Chuck E. Cheese. Well, they won't let me in because Chuck E. Cheese, you had to be 18, under 18, you had to be accompanied by an adult. I said, I'm your Pac-Man world champion here. I just won your goddamn Pac-Man thing two weeks ago. Here's all the tokens. You're not going to let me in? They wouldn't let me in. It was kind of ironic, wasn't it? You know, I just won their tournament. Now they won't let me in because of my because I'm underage. For a, no, for, Chuck for Chuck E. Cheese. Bastard. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. So, though you dirty rat. You know, um, but those are good old days. Oh, that's another thing I was really good at was this rate night driver, I think. It was a race car, black and white race car thing. You know, you sat down, you sat in it, and you just – and it, it just got to the point where it was all memorization. And, you know, just, you're going blistering fast. It was, it was unbelievable. I got really, really good at that. If there was any championships, I probably would have entered it, but I didn't see any uh, championships for night – I think it was called night driver or night racer or something. I would have probably done extremely well in any kind of competition. So I – but, but for sure, Pac-Man was the most popular video game uh, at that time. It superseded um, Space Invaders, who really kicked it all off as far as arcade games. Not like Pong, you know, um, which I think was the first. But, yeah, those, those were good old days when you were young. You had the world ahead of you, you know. And I think in, it, it was inspiring for me because at that time I was wrapping up, pretty much wrapping up my – my, my wrestling training and everything, because I had been doing that for years. Um, and it just made, I just walked around with a sense of not arrogance, but a sense of pride. Hey, I can fight as good as anybody. I can play Pac-Man as good as anybody. You know, I thought, man, I could do anything, you know? And, and then, you know, when you, when you realize the world itself is, it seems it's designed to devour people. Right. And, as as the years went on, I found out, Jesus, man, it, it's a lot easier to fight and it's a lot easier to play Pac-Man than it is to conquer the world because I didn't do such a good job at it, you know. So it's just the world throws you a lot of curveballs. I'll tell you that right now. So my advice is to eke out whatever you can, whatever little tidbit of of enjoyment that you can get out of it, get out of it. Take it. 
It's not, we're here finite, like Joe says, finite. Although your looks are infinite, I think. Well, now, yeah, forever, for all posterity on the inter interwebs, uh, these, these videos really are, that, that's the real value of this when, when it comes down to recording that. So, well, this is eternity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's one of the benefits of living in the modern age. Now we can record this for future generations. So you're welcome. I guess what I'm saying is to, <laughs> to, to everybody. Yes. The um, world is a better place. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting kind of this all, I don't know what themes I'm pulling up, but we can kind of talk about that uh, failed actor, you know, and like what, 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 you know, I was thinking about that earlier about like the balance between life and hobbies. And I had a conversation with some friends just yesterday, actually, talking about, can you be a great man and also be a good man? So a lot of, I think you can, but I think it often is rare. I think, um, for instance, to be great at something, to really achieve a great status at something, you have to dedicate a ton of time. And a lot of, and a lot of other things have to be sacrificed for that. Uh, I think you're, because you were kind of mentioning like this actor guy, he puts in four or five years and really tries, and it goes nowhere. You know, his family's got to, okay, you know, are you going to do that again for something else? I mean, at a certain point, um, you know, all these things that we have, unfortunately, society, you know, values certain things over others. So, you know, you could be the world's greatest, you know, Pac-Man player, but the best that's going to give you is a, a, maybe a bicycle, some unusable Chuck E. Cheese tokens and a pack, pat on the back, right? You know, I mean, you did it for yourself, yeah. right? You know, and, uh, and that's true about a lot. I mean, how do you balance your passions and interests? Um, you know, what can you get out of that? And that's, um, it's something I think every person has to figure out. And um, it, like, you know, if you're going to, if you've got some consuming passion where you're going to put all your time in and it's no guarantee that you're going to make a living out of it, uh, you've got to think about that and consequences for your other decisions. You know, do you put off getting, raising a family, uh, you know, until you're able to focus and give them the time that they need? Uh, it's, it's, this is a tricky thing about life. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if you get where I'm going at, but um, I do. And the, the, the quagmire is the definition of good and great. What's a great man? What's a good man or woman? You know, um, and it's such a judgment call because I've known a lot of great men. Okay. I mean, they were the, 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 the leaders in their field. Okay. Um, and I've known a lot of well, who I thought were like just average Joes, but good men, good hearted, caring. But you talk to somebody else and they'll say, oh, no, this guy was a first rate jag off. He did this. He did that. You know, you get all these different kind of opinions and so on. So I, I learned early on that I don't really care about the judgment of things. I'm more a nuts and bolts kind of guy. So what I mean by that is this. I know that certain people can, I can rub people the wrong way. I'm a, I'm a black and white kind of guy. You either love me or you hate me kind of thing. And I know a lot of guys that are just like me. Um, but there are things about me that you cannot debate. Okay. Like if I drop down now and give you a hundred pushups, well, you can't debate that. Those were a hundred pushups. All right. The number's there. Unless you're a jerk off and try to say, oh, he, you know, his form. But the point is, I always focused my life on concrete things. I want to be able to do something that's beyond debatable, okay? This is an absolute fact. 
because everything else in our lives, and this goes for anybody, really boils down to judgment. You know, um, how do you, you know, how do you feel today? You may act differently if you don't feel well, or the person on the receiving end may accept your personality in a different way if they're not feeling well. So I find a lot of folks get hung up on that. You know, they want you to like them so much that, that it, it actually becomes a form of acting. They're not really themselves. And that happens awful lot in relationships, especially in the beginning of relationships where people may not even be putting up a front per se, but everything is going rosy. Everything is great. You're all euphoric. Well, wait till the bottom falls out or wait till you hit a crisis before you start rushing into things, you know, and, and, and seeing how the person really is. And, and then you can really tell if the person's a good man or a good woman or not um, in your mind. That's how I look at it, you know, because I've seen a lot of bullshit artists, you know, guys coming out, maybe in a bar, buying everybody drinks, celebrating this and that, you know. And then I know one guy in particular, you know him as well. I'm not going to mention his name. But come the first of the month, that's what he does. He goes out and buys, 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 buys for everybody. Nine, nine, ten days later, he's hitting me up for money. <laughs> okay. So everybody thinks he's great, but it's an act. You, you know who I'm talking about. So, um, well, yeah. And I, but anyway, I, yeah, the classic example is the guy. Um, and actually, I had a boss like this where uh, he was the greatest, you know, for everybody outside. I always said he this boss reminded me of what it must be to be like in an abusive home because outside of the department, everybody loved him. He was the, the nicest, happiest guy. He'd say yes. But when we'd close our doors in the department and he needed stuff done, he would throw any of us under the bus. If any of us, you know, like he was, and I've seen that with, you know, certain abusive parents or whatever, where they, they're the, they go out and they're everybody's buddy outside. But when they come home and you see the real them, you know, where they let it all hang out, you know, there's two, there's two sides to the personality. There's the, the, the right. facade that they put out there and then there's what they do, you know, and, and what they let out. And uh, yeah, I mean, when I say a good person and a great person, you're right. I mean, even a, a really good guy. I mean, some of the best people I know, no one's perfect. They're going to have bad days. They're going to be asshole. Everybody's got a little bit of asshole in them. Uh, you know, you know, you know, they shouldn't be defined by, you know, you can't say someone's a hundred percent good person or a hundred percent bad person. You know, even the worst right. person is going to have some good moments and do some good things. So, um, I mean, yeah, life is complicated and it's not black and white as far as judgment person, but it's also, um, also, yeah, are you doing are you doing it for others or are you doing it for yourself? You know, am I doing certain things so that I feel good about myself? Am I living my life the way I want to? So to me, Correct. like, do I define, you know, uh, making sure my kids were successful? Is that uh, um, and, uh, and what do I consider that? You know, is that a, something I can hang my hat on? Those are things and, and maybe people don't see it, you know, uh, or whatever, or don't acknowledge it. I mean, ultimately, and that goes back to like the actor or the the musician who doesn't who hasn't sold, you know, hasn't had a gold record or doesn't, you know, that doesn't get rang, name recognition. Are they pleased with what they did? Did they succeed and in, in, in knock out what they did? You know? Um, so, and I think that's ultimately what it got to do. Are you, are you happy with your, with your own success and what you've tried to achieve and, and given a uh, swing at? So 
Um, but you're right, it's not, these are kind of meaning of life kind of questions, and I think everybody has to answer them for themselves, but um, right, yeah, it's, it's, it's not straightforward, any of those. No, it, it's a judgment, you know, and, I, you know, I think, I mean, most of them like, talk about musicians, all the great musicians that I know, you know, all, all, they had a bit of, I don't want to say resentment, but, you know, they were undiscovered, I guess you'd say, or they never made the big time, okay, in essence. But they're not alone. You know, there, there's very – even some, like in the jazz world, that made it in the big time. Well, there's very few that in the jazz world that really made it big, big. I mean, Oscar Peterson is arguably, you know, the greatest jazz pianist of our generation, but how many people actually outside of jazz know who the guy was, you know, or Art Tatum or somebody like that? You know, you have crossovers like Buddy Rich because he was on The Tonight Show so much and Merv Griffin Show and Mike Douglas and all those television shows. You know, um, so he, you know, I, I would say he made it everlasting. But, uh, you know, I I never thought, when I played music, I never thought about becoming world famous being a musician. I wanted to make an album. You know, that I did. I, or I, I never did make an album, but that's what I, I wanted to. I wanted to be on an album. Um, which never happened. Uh, but I played with some, you know, as you know, some Grammy winners and shit. So, I mean, to me, I think that's pretty good. Nope, nobody may remember me or know of me or anything. So what? Um, many times when I'm listening to a music, uh, uh, or a music on a movie, okay, any, any movie, and you have an orchestra soundtrack, these are world-class musicians, man. And I don't know any other names, okay? Uh, yet they're mind-blowingly good. And like I say, with rare exceptions, I don't know anybody's name that's playing on that soundtrack. So they help make this movie more enjoyable because of their musicianship. Same with the composers. Lionel Newman or somebody from, you know, years ago, um, Hugo Friedhofer. Who knows of these people? You know, what do they look like even, you know, um, nobody knows, or unless you're really in the business, Dominic Frontieri, one of the greatest accordionists of all time, ended up becoming a big time music. Uh, he was the head of, I think it was, uh, Mercury wing or one of the, uh, one of the, uh, movies, uh, he was in charge of all of that. He did the soundtrack for, uh, on any given Sunday and the outer limits and Vegas, you know, um, the TV show Vegas and. You know, uh, he ended up marrying, you know, Georgia Rosenblum, who became Georgia Frontieri, that owned the Rams. He ended up doing time for income tax evasion because he was selling scalp tickets. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, but Dominic Frontieri was a monster musician. Most people didn't know who he was. So kind of like what I do, you know, fighters, martial arts, we're niche, especially what I do is a sub-niche. So... A lot of people don't know me, or they have heard my name, don't know my face. Um, I don't care. I never did this to become world famous, you know, uh, in that regard. I know people who've, who want that, who want that fame. I had one student tell me, I want to be able to walk through an airport and everybody knows who I am. I said, well, then you're in the wrong line of work, <laughs> you know, because nobody, nobody's following this sport enough. At, especially at that time, 20 years ago, 
you know, nobody's, you know, you're not a movie star that they don't, they don't have that kind of um, audience reach back then, especially. Um, so, you know, it is what it is, but I think that is a bit of narcissism on certain people's part. If that's what they want to be. Um, and if that's what you want go for it, I, I'm not necessarily looking for that. It's too late for me. Anyhow, I'm almost 60, but I, I did my things for my own reasons. And I think that's most important. I think if everybody has their own internal reasons for doing it, that doesn't depend on someone else. Ergo, if you want to become famous, you have to depend on not just somebody else, but like millions of else's, okay? Millions of people. But if you're doing it for your own own personal reasons, then that's fine, I think. For me, I just wanted to be able to defend myself against anybody and Talking about Pac-Man, I wanted to be able to beat everybody at Pac-Man. So it was, you know, that's all I cared about. But as the clock on the wall is showing, it's about time for us to wrap this up, buddy. Um, I sure hope everybody that was supposed to appear today and their families are feeling better. Um, I'm battling the cold, but I think I'm going to win. In a couple of more days, three, four days, I'll be back to normal. Um, colds normally take, like I say, seven days for me, it seems to sometimes take 10. So by midweek or so I should be all right. Yep. Hope everybody feeling better. It was a good talk today again. Yeah. Off the cuff. Well, guys, we'll see you all next week. Thanks once again for watching. And if you see it, don't let an arcade go by without stopping in and throwing in whatever it is, a quarter. I don't know. Maybe they jacked it up dollars now. All right, guys, take it easy. Bye.